1 Corinthians 13. How many of you, just curious, have ever heard a message on this chapter before? And for how many of you was it in the month of February? Okay, we are in December. And we are preaching from 1 Corinthians 13. It's a different dynamic when you're not in a series. And you get to pick a text. Uh, the Spirit picks a text and presses one on you. And so I had been studying 1 Corinthians for a little while now, um, my personal time, and uh, came across this chapter in the midst of two chapters on spiritual gifts. And I said, it doesn't seem to say what I've always heard it say. And uh, why is it here? Why is it in here in this book? And uh, I had lots of questions. It was profitable study for me. And uh, God impressed on my heart to preach this week and next week from this chapter. And uh, I pray that it is profitable for all of us. It will be profitable uh, just by reading his word. So let's go ahead and read 1 Corinthians 13. We'll read the whole chapter. If I speak in the tongues of men and of angels, but have not love, I am a noisy gong or a clanging cymbal. And if I have prophetic powers and understand all mysteries and all knowledge, and if I have all faith so as to remove mountains, but have not love, I am nothing. If I give away all I have and I deliver up my body to be burned, but have not love, I gain nothing. Love is patient and kind. Love does not envy or boast. It is not arrogant or rude. It does not insist on its own way. It is not irritable or resentful. It does not rejoice at wrongdoing, but rejoices with the truth. Love bears all things, believes all things, hopes all things, endures all things. Love never ends. As for prophecies, they will pass away. As for tongues, they will cease. As for knowledge, it will pass away. For we know in part and we prophesy in part. But when the perfect comes, the partial will pass away. When I was a child, I spoke like a child. I thought like a child. I reasoned like a child. When I became a man, I gave up childish ways. For now we see in a mirror dimly, but then face to face. Now I know in part. Then I shall know fully, even as I have been fully known. So now faith, hope, and love abide, these three. But the greatest of these is love. Let's pray. God, it is such a great privilege to come and to study your word. We are so thankful that you, by your grace, moved upon men through the Spirit to write the Scriptures, to reveal yourself to us, to make known to us the history of redemption, so that we here in the 21st century might read and see what you have done over the course of all history and that be encouraging to us and that and that strengthen our faith and bolster us in our walk with you and and help us in our day-to-day struggles as we live here in this in-between stage of fully saved and not yet fully saved and glorified and so god i praise you for your word we praise you for this text I thank you for the work that you have done already this last two weeks or so in studying in my life and my heart. And I pray in uh, the ministry that you have called me to do here at this church. 
along with the other elders and preaching team. And so I pray that you would now make clear in presentable fashion your word as it has spoken to my heart and uh, to the congregation now. So we pray, Spirit, that you would come and that you would impress on the hearts of the people that are gathered here your message for them today. God, these are sometimes difficult texts, texts that uh, split churches and cause a lot of division. And so we need your mind and we need spirit that you would give us discernment and that you would help us as we study the scripture to, um, above all, that we would love you. We would ask that you would be glorified in our time together and we would not put ourselves forward in front of the text or in front of your will for us today. So we pray that you would be made much of, we would step down, we we would cease to be uh, trying to raise above your word and who you are. So God, come gather with us and bless the scriptures today as we pray in Christ's name. Amen. We live in a society today that loves to reward talent and loves to make our own talents known. This has this desire for me to have my abilities known to all of you has created the the uh, sensation on the Internet known as the YouTube. This is where you can broadcast yourself playing the guitar in hopes of getting that big record deal or where you can do your basketball thing in hopes of hitting the eye of a professional scout or college scout or somebody that is going to see that talent and say, that's something we want. He's going to be helpful for us. Let's let's get that kid, whatever it takes. We love to be able to showcase our talents um, and sometimes and not in any way caring who gave them to us, where they came from, but more, I, I have this ability and I'd like you to know it. Uh, this also has driven the craze of American Idol that is so popular of uh, you might be a really good singer and we're going to find you. We're going to come to your city and we're going to ask hundreds of thousands of people to line up outside the door and to all audition uh, just because you might have some talent. And um, pro athletes get paid millions of dollars. We pay them millions of dollars to showcase their ability to put balls through hoops and to catch balls and to run with them and to make plays, and we love to reward talent. We love to wear them on our backs on a jersey or to say, that's, that's my player, Peyton Manning, that's my boy. And you know, these are our guys, that's my team. They don't know I exist, but that's my team. We love to do these things. You know, this is nothing new, though, and there's a church in the first century that loved to do this as well. They were given these gifts And they said, I want to use my gift. I want you to see I have a gift given by God and I'm going to use it. And so in manners of uh, deceit or desire to promote self, they would use their gifts, not in any way desiring to do what the gifts were given to do, and that is to build up the church. They desired to speak in tongues to the detriment of the rest of the body. Now, in giving this introduction, we're not yet stepping into our tongues for today. So hold off the fence that's getting ready to be raised. Okay, keep it down. 
But the Corinthians, they cared more about, I have been given this gift, and I want it to be made known. I, and not only that, but they pursued certain gifts vigorously. I want the gift of knowledge. Don't we all want the gift of special knowledge to reveal all mysteries, as Paul says? They wanted these gifts, and they wanted to be able to use these gifts for their own abilities so that they might be raised up above other people in the congregation and not for the body being built up. This is what brings Paul to write three chapters in this book, the letter of 1 Corinthians. Paul is writing to this church who are spiritually immature. He says, you should be able to be eating meat now, but I still am having to spoon feed, spoon feed you milk. Because you are not yet mature. You, you are allowing gross acts of immorality to go on and you're just looking the other way. You're choosing to love yourself and your ability to eat meat that's been offered to idols instead of caring for your brother who has been an idol worshiper his whole life and who has a real problem with that. You come to the Lord's table and instead of remembering the gospel and what Christ has done, not but 17, 20 years ago, instead of coming to the table and remembering that, you come and you eat and you devour and you get drunk. Because why? Because all you care about is yourself and not the body. That's the church Paul is writing to now. And so in this section, 12 through 14, Paul is writing on this topic of spiritual gifts. Now, what are spiritual gifts? Start building the fences. What are spiritual gifts? Wayne Grudem defines spiritual gifts as any ability that is empowered by the Holy Spirit and used in any ministry of the church. Let me repeat that if you want to write it down. He defines, it's clear to have, it's good to have clear definitions of what we're talking about. Wayne Grudem defines spiritual gifts as any ability that is empowered by the Holy Spirit and used in any ministry of the church. He goes on to say that this includes both natural abilities, we would see maybe as just a talent, a natural ability, and those gifts that are thought to be more miraculous. These gifts are given by the Spirit, and because they're given by the Spirit, this distinguishes between just having a, a talent or an ability from a spiritual gift. So let me explain a little bit. So if I have the ability to play the guitar, and I can play the guitar for campfires or at the house, that's different than coming into the church and being able to play the guitar to help lead and worship. I think that is a spiritual gift where God has gifted someone for the betterment of the church. You might be using your natural talents and abilities that he gave you anyway. He's, Paul says later, earlier in 1 Corinthians, what do you have that you did not receive? You think you have it? You, know, like you, have, you may boast about it. You've been given everything that you have. And so that natural ability that you have, God can then use as a spiritual gift for the means in the ministry of the church. 1 Corinthians 12. If you want to turn there, I think, it, I think this one's going to be on the screen. 1 Corinthians 12, verses 7 through 11. This is just the chapter before the one we are in. Paul is writing, and he's writing and saying that these gifts have come by means of the Spirit. Notice how many times he refers to the Spirit. 
This is important when we think of spiritual gifts to remind us that they come from the spirit. First Corinthians 12 verses 7 through 11 to each is given the manifestation manif- manifestation of the spirit for the common good to each person. Did you catch that to each person here? The spirit has given there's been given manifestations of the spirit for the common good. So to each one here, that's encouraging to everyone here who is a believer has been given manifestation of the spirit for the common good. So for everyone's good, we've all been given gifts. Let's just make sure we're clear for to one is given through the spirit, the utterance of wisdom and to another, the utterance of knowledge, according to who the same spirit. Verse nine to another faith by the same spirit to another gifts of healing by the one spirit to another, the working of miracles to another prophecy to another, the ability to distinguish between spirits to another, various kinds of tongues to another, the interpretation of tongues. All these are empowered by one and the same spirit who apportions to each one individually as he will. So gifts are given to every believer by means of the spirit for verse seven, the common good for the common good of the church. And God, by the spirit, gives these individually as he wills. So that's our definition of what are spiritual gifts. They're any ability that empowered by the spirit for use in the ministry of the church. Second question, what is the purpose of spiritual gifts? If these gifts are given to every believer for the building and edification of the church, what's the purpose of the gifts? The purpose is twofold as I can see it. First, it's to equip the ministry of the church until Christ returns. And secondly, along with the end of that first one, it's to give us a foretaste of the age to come. So the first one is the purpose of the spiritual gifts are to equip the church to carry out its ministry until Christ returns. And secondly, it gives us a foretaste of the age to come. Ephesians 4, 11 through 14. I will briefly reference it, but this is an important verse in regards to Christ and by the spirit giving gifts. Verse 11 of Ephesians 4. And he gave the apostles, the prophets, the evangelists, the shepherds and teachers to equip the saints for the work of the ministry for building up the body of Christ. Until we all attain to the unity of the faith and of the knowledge of the Son of God to mature manhood, to the measure of the stature of the fullness of Christ, so that we may no longer be children tossed to and fro by the waves and carried about by every wind of doctrine, by human cunning, by craftiness and deceitful schemes. That was Ephesians 4, 11 through 14. This is what the Spirit is wanting to do. With spiritual gifts. He is gifting the church so that we might not no longer be immature, that we might grow up to the measure of the fullness of the person of Christ. What do we say to that? Thank you. Praise be to God that he has gifted the church with people who are shepherds, apostles, prophets, evangelists, who have the gift of helps, Mercy, hospitality, generosity. The purpose of these gifts is to equip the church to fulfill our ministry until Christ returns and also to give us a foretaste of what is to come. 
if we have someone who has the gift of knowledge or faith, they have this gift of being able to have specific knowledge that maybe somebody else doesn't have or that's humanly possible to have. Okay, now I understand the fences are raised because we're talking now in some sort of fantastic language that's beginning to get on the edge of superhero-ish. And we kind of want to balk from that sometimes. And, and we'll talk about that, but we see abuses to these spiritual gifts. We're not talking about abuses. We're just trying to look at the scripture and say, what are the gifts and what are they for right now? That's all we're wanting to do. Okay, this, this is going somewhere, but nonetheless, just this information data dump is helpful, I hope. Because this is what God is doing here in this church with all of you. So 1 Corinthians 1, 7, and, and thinking about how this might help with the foretaste of the age to come. He says, so that you are not lacking in any spiritual gift as you wait for the revealing of our Lord Jesus Christ. So as we're waiting, as we're sitting here in this in-between stage, God has given us gifts so that the church is built up, but also to keep us longing for what's to come. As I was saying, if someone has the gift of knowledge or of faith, they have this ability of God has given them ability for a time or whatever the case is of special faith. That's that's a glimpse of what's to come when we see face to face and our faith is brought to sight. We no longer believe by faith because we're seeing we're seeing Christ. And so it's a glimpse of what is to come. So when someone is shepherding and we long for more or whatever the case is, we long for the true shepherd. And so it's helping us, I hope, to keep our gaze on what is to come. Although the Spirit gives us spiritual gifts, the gifts are not meant for us or for our own benefit. So me having a gift of playing the guitar, while it might be an enjoyable time of relaxation at home, away from work, just strumming away. I don't play the guitar, so I won't act like I do. I just wear the t-shirt sometimes. But while that might be enjoyable, the gift is not for me. It's for me to come and to help lead in worship so that the body is built up and strengthened. That's the ultimate purpose, as we have seen from Ephesians 4 and 1 Corinthians 1. So what are the spiritual gifts? We've already mentioned a few of them. Paul gives us in no way meaning to be exhaustive, but Paul gives us in several different passages, 22 different spiritual gifts. Actually, he repeats a number of them, but there are 22 unique gifts that he lists. And again, he is in no way trying to be exhaustive. Some of the gifts that he includes, we've already mentioned. Apostles, prophets, teachers, miracles, healing, helps, administration, tongues, faith, word of knowledge. He even mentions marriage and celibacy as a gift in 1 Corinthians 7, 7. As a gift to the church. Think about that. Your marriage and you being single is a gift to the church, not to be used for ourselves. So I don't think that we can add to those talents and gifts the Spirit has clearly given us to be used in the ministry of the church. I don't think we can add to that talents and gifts that Spirit 
has clearly given us that sentence doesn't make sense. I'm sorry, I was reading and uh, realized the sentence doesn't, I don't think that makes sense. Um, but go ahead and put up on, on the slide the list. There's, a, there's some other passages that would be helpful as Bereans just to scour the scriptures. Um, go and look at the list that are given. They're all from Paul except uh, they're in 1 Peter 4. Um, it would be helpful for you if you want and you desire to look more into uh, this topic of spiritual gifts to see the scriptures there. So there's 22 unique gifts that are given uh, by the Spirit for the building up of the church. So why are we skeptical of spiritual gifts? If gifts are given by the one and same Spirit, and they're given for the purpose of building up the church and keeping us, giving us a foretaste of what is to come, why are we so skeptical? Now, we're not skeptical about the gift of administration. We're not skeptical about the guy who's really detailed-oriented and who gets everything done for us. We're not skeptical about the lady who's, or the guy who's doing hospitality, who enjoys having visitors stay at their home or sending meals out. We're not skeptical about that. That's, that seems to be just something good you do for people. But it's the fantastic, I don't want to use the word miraculous, and I'll explain why. It's the fantastic gifts that we can be real skeptical about. We don't like talking about them because sometimes they, they seem downright crazy. One pastor in referring to charismatic services that we maybe have heard about or have been to ourselves where the gifts are misused, uh, and scripture is uh, not the guiding principle for the gifts. He referred to it as charismaniacs, where it's just whatever you want to do goes. Now, I'm saying this not knowing many of your backgrounds, not knowing if you come from churches like this. And so I want you to know that in no way, let me put this out there, in no way am, am I at all saying anything to hurt anyone's background or family members. We are, we are just wanting to look at what is the scripture saying about spiritual gifts because our chapter we're looking at today that's on love, it's in the middle of it. And so we need, we need help of what, why he's writing this that so often gets taken out and used at Valentine's Day and on your wedding, why he's using this chapter in referring to spiritual gifts. So we're skeptical because we see these two errors. Sometimes the error is we go to services, like I said, where there is no scriptural uh, basis for what they're doing. They are clearly going against what Paul is desiring the gifts to be used in the scriptures. So Paul tells us in Corinthians, if you have the gift of tongues, you cannot use it if there's no one to interpret. It is not at all helpful for you to use it in a service if there's no one to interpret. And yet the Corinthians are desiring to use these gifts. That's why he has to write them and say, don't do that. These gifts are meant for the help and the, the uh, encouragement, building up of the church to full maturity in Christ. So tongues sometimes can be used as a prayer language. And it can be personal, where a person can speak in a language that they've never studied and God give that to them. Tongues can also be used in a service where there's an, an interpreter. But the scripture is not at all saying that these happen all the time and they must happen all the time. These are gifts that are given by the spirit for the building up of the church. So what I do not want to say right now is that grace and truth next week 
is going to be participating in speaking in tongues, prophesying, and having healing services. That's not going up on our sign. But what I am saying is we want to be biblical, and we don't want to allow misuses and uh, the extremes, the extreme movements, to interpret the Scripture for us. So because there's people who might misuse the Scripture who are on one side, I don't want to look at that and say, well, I have to go to the other side because you're misusing the Scripture. Another error is total cessationism, which is probably most of our backgrounds, maybe. Maybe not. That's my background. And so I struggle with, I will be right up front, and I will tell you, I have never seen tongues used in a way that was biblical. I've never seen it used uh, along with prophesying or healing in any way that was what Paul is writing in the scripture. I've never seen it. Uh, I'm very leery against stuff like that. I have my, my fences raised towards fantastic gifts of the spirit. I will be completely up front. And so this puts me on edge, realizing that the scripture is saying, God gives these for the benefit of the church. And what I've seen growing up, I went to a service where it was, there was, uh, there was no order, and it was people running around and being slain in the spirit, and someone would take their hand and, and push them down, and they were slain in the spirit. People were just grabbing the microphone and saying stuff into it that was unintelligible. Um, you know, and we're visitors. It's a little awkward when you're a visitor and you're a cessationist and you're 10 because you're just standing there in the pew. You know, your mom doesn't do this. You, you know, my dad's not there, but my brother and I, it's just, it's a strange situation to be in. And, um, looking back on it, that's not a biblical example at all of spiritual gifts being practiced. And I would, I would love, the elders would love to talk with anyone. We love to study the scriptures with anyone who would, uh, want to talk about issues like this. So, in thinking about this issue of spiritual gifts, and now that everyone is somehow on edge uh, and getting ready to hurl tomatoes, let's, let's think about now how do we walk away and think about spiritual gifts? How do we walk away from just a few minutes of looking at spiritual gifts? What do we think about now in regards to what we've seen just from these few chapters? Number one, we need to thank God for the work of the Spirit in our body. We really do. We need to thank God that he is intimately aware of and concerned for us. And so because of that, he's given us gifts to help us. He's given us gifts to help us grow to maturity. He hasn't saved us and then left us alone to figure out the scriptures on our own with nobody to encourage us and nobody to help minister to us. He's given multifaceted gifts for each different personality. So one person's gift of hospitality looks completely different from another person because there's, there's personalities involved. So we need to thank God for the work of the Spirit in our body. Number two, we need to use our gifts for the benefit of the body. We need to use our gifts. Use your spiritual gift. If that is the gift of mercy, then use it. Show mercy. People need to see Mercy that comes from a gospel-centered life when they're hurting. They need to be reminded of truths like that. You have the gift of 
of faith, of a, a special gift of faith that maybe other people struggle with unbelief. We need, we need that. So use your gifts for the benefit of the body. Thirdly, pray for gifts. Pray for spiritual gifting. And pray for more gifts to better serve the body. Coming from a cessationist background, cessationist, sorry, is one that does, that believes uh, the fantastic gifts of the Spirit have ceased. They've stopped. You have the regular gifts that are still uh, going on today, but all of the ones that are um, made fun of, all of those gifts, those have stopped. And we'll see in our passage today where they get that from. But So that's a cessationist. All those gifts have stopped. They were for the purpose of um, uh, and giving credit to the apostles and also building the early church until the scriptures were completed. And uh, that's a cessationist position. It's not heresy. Um, but it can go into uh, an extreme just like the other side of going crazy and just running around can as well. So pray for gifts. And if you have the gift of something, whatever it is, pray for more gifts for the purpose of the body being served. So in a smaller church like ours, we need to be praying for gifts. There's 22 unique gifts given in the scriptures. We need to be praying that God would gift our church and that people would begin to use these gifts so that our body is built up and so that Hillsboro might see this community of believers who are thanking God for the work of the Spirit in their midst and who are not selfish and desiring any kind of self-promotion with any gifts. Number four, talk about your gifts. Talk about your gifts with each other. Affirm them in one another. And rejoice at the manifestation of the Holy Spirit in our midst through evidenced spiritual gifts. So when you see someone who is clearly gifted in the ability to teach children or teach in the pulpit or someone who is gifted at serving or singing or playing, leading in worship, let them know how that has ministered to you. Encourage them. Affirm their gifts. If someone is searching and they don't know, how can I serve the body? Let's affirm gifts in one another of God. I see God doing this in you. And let's help strengthen the body and build up one another to the full maturity of Christ. Now that we have an understanding somewhat of the context, and now that everyone is, is mad at me, let's look more closely at the 13th chapter of 1 Corinthians. Let's get into uh, what we came here to do, and that's 1 Corinthians 13. Paul says, we're just looking at the first three verses, and then we'll skip four through seven, and then if we have time, we'll come down uh, to the end of the chapter. So 1 Corinthians uh, 13, 1 through 3, I'll read it again, now that we have a, more of an understanding of our context of this, the discussion we have entered into. So verse 1, If I speak in tongues of men and of angels, but have not love, I am a noisy gong or a clanging cymbal. And if I have prophetic powers and understand all mysteries and all knowledge, and if I have all faith so as to remove mountains, but I have no love, I am nothing. And if I give away all I have, and if I deliver up my body to be burned, but have not love, I gain nothing. Paul is saying that there is something that you must have, even if you have all of these fantastic and all of these gifts. So you have one gift. That's fine. He's saying, what if you have all of these gifts in verse 2? If I have prophetic powers, 
and understand all mysteries and knowledge. And if, and if I have faith that can move mountains, but I do not have love, I'm nothing. Paul is saying there is something that is more important than you just having gifts. This is really crucial for us in a discussion on some uh, itchy topics, things that make us uncomfortable. It's important for us to realize that the scripture is saying there is something that is vitally important. You have a gift and you want to use it. That's great. But you have to be using it in love. You have to be using your gift that comes from a heart of love. Or else you are nothing. Or else you have gained nothing. He doesn't say that the gift is nothing. You notice if he's, he says, if I speak in tongues of men and of angels, but I don't have love, he doesn't say the gift is a noisy gong and a clanging cymbal. I was thinking about this week, trying to figure out what these are, and uh, there's lots of different ideas. And so I'm just thinking in my mind, these are probably two of the most annoying sounds in the world. Just a continuing gong sound and clanging cymbals is like worse than a baby crying, and I want to rip my hair. I want to rip my hair out. That was unintended. Paul is saying it's not the gift that is wrong. But it is you. You are the clinging symbol. You are not making sense with what you're saying. You're annoying or you are. Later, he says you are nothing. It's it's not the gift. The gift comes from the spirit. The spirit is giving you these abilities, these gifts. But if you're not using it in a way that is loving, we'll talk about that. If you're not using it in a loving way, You are nothing. So in a society that wants to pat ourselves on the back for talents and abilities. Paul is saying we have we're missing if we're missing this one ingredient. You're a nobody. You're a nobody. You could you could give away everything you have. Literally, he's saying, I could tear up all of my possessions in small pieces and distribute it to the poor. Everything. And I would gain nothing. If I deliver my body to be burned. Who delivers their body to be burned? And he's saying, you would be nothing if you don't do it with love. There is something that is necessary for these gifts for you and these gifts to be effective in the life of the church. Think of your car. You could have the nicest, newest car. It has all the bells and whistles. But if you don't have a battery in the car, the car is worthless. You could go to the dealer and have them put in a brand new sound system. You could have them put in a brand new engine, new tires and windshield wipers and all of, all of those things. But if you never put in a new battery, you've wasted all your money on repairs. The repairs gave you nothing. They added nothing to your car because that wasn't the problem. There's an example of this in the New Testament that is given in Acts 5, if you want to turn there. 
The last illustration that Paul gives is the idea of generosity. Generosity is a spiritual gift that he mentions uh, in in, uh, Ephesians 4, I think it was. One of those passages that gives us lists of gifts. One is generosity or the gift of giving. In Ephesians 5, uh, Acts 5, we have this scenario where before Acts 5, you have the early church. Okay, I mean, they're just days old. And the early church is loving one another. They are not seeing their goods as their own. And they're distributing it to everyone so that everyone's taken care of. And, and they're loving one another. And, and then all of a sudden, you have these people who are selling everything and, and just bringing the money to, to the group and saying, let's distribute it so everybody's taken care of. And so then, then you have this couple, and, and they think that's a great idea. Because chances are, the guy who sold his property and brought it to the group, everybody's like, wow, what a sacrifice. You know, we, we don't want to thank you necessarily, praise be to God, but what a sacrifice this guy made. And so they probably see this and say, hey man, this is great, let's do the same thing. So Acts 5, this couple, Ananias and Sapphira, they decide to sell a property. And they come to the disciple, the apostles and they say, we sold a property and we want to give them money. Ananias does. And we sold it for so much. And he lies. And he actually sold it for a lot more, but he kept some of the money back. And he, but he's acting like he's giving everything back to the apostles for the group. And immediately what happens? He dies. And then his wife comes in a little bit later and she says the same. They ask her a question. Did you sell the field for so much? Yeah, we sold it for so much. The people who just buried your husband, they're waiting at the door and they're going to bury you. And she dies. They had no desire, no love for actually what the purpose of the gift was. All they wanted was the shortcut to generosity and the shortcut to self-promotion. They had no concern for the group or for Christ and what he was wanting to do there. All they wanted was what that gift of generosity was going to give them. This comes up a lot as we're entering the most wonderful time of the year. Where that's all we do is we give gifts. Let's be thinking about that as we are buying gifts and giving gifts and getting gifts and asking, are we motivated out of a heart of love for that person? Or are we hoping the gift gives us, brings us love from that person? And um, what is our actual motivation for the giving of gifts? Nonetheless, Ananias and Sapphira, their problem, their object of love was actually themselves. And it was not Christ in his church. In 1 Corinthians, back to 1 Corinthians 14. Paul tells us at the end of this chapter, at the beginning of chapter 14, the end of chapter 13, to pursue love. Chapter 13 is like the love chapter. And at the end of that chapter, the beginning of the next one, he says, pursue love and desire spiritual gifts. But all through chapter 13, he never gives an object. Pursue love. Like, pursue the feeling. Pursue love towards someone. I mean, love has to have an object, right? I don't know how to pursue the idea of love as an ethereal feeling. Paul is telling us to pursue love. What is love? I'm glad you asked. If we could put up that next slide First John 4, 7 through 12. If you just want to write the reference down, we're going to read it. But this is 
This is imperative for us to know that love is what Paul is asking is not pursue the love that I told you about in verses four through seven. We're going to look at four through seven next week. But four through seven is what love is, what love does and doesn't do. And he's not saying pursue characteristics of love. That's important. Don't pursue being able to bear all things. Don't try doing that with your wife. Don't try being patient and kind and just making a checklist and saying, if I can love her forever, then God will be pleased with me. That's not what Paul is wanting us to do. Paul is saying, pursue love. What is love? First John 4. Beloved, let us love one another, for love is from God, and whoever loves has been born of God and knows God. Anyone who does not love, anyone who does not love does not know God. Keep that in the back of your mind. Because God is love. In this, the love of God was made manifest among us that God sent his only son into the world so that we might live through him. Verse 10. In this is love. In what? In what he just said and what he's going to say. God sent his only son into the world so that we might live through him. Verse 10. In this is love. Not that we have loved God, but that he loved us and sent his son to be the propitiation for our sins. Beloved, if God so loved us, we also ought to love one another. No one has ever seen God. If we love one another, God abides in us and his love is perfected in us. Paul says, pursue love. What's love? It's not an emotion that you want me to pursue. And it's not these characteristics that I can never attain to. Husband and wife, son or daughter, parents, you will never be able to attain to verses 4 through 7 of 1 Corinthians 13. You will never be patient with your wife. You will never bear all things, believe all things, and hope all things. You cannot do that. What is love that we need to pursue? Love is the gospel. And it's not just, well, here comes the gospel trip. No, First John 4.10 4, tells us this is love. The most concrete expression of love ever given in the history of mankind is the gospel. You want to know what love is and what it looks like? It looks like Jesus on a cross for you. Because Paul says in 1 Corinthians 13, 3, if I give my body to be burned, I'll sacrifice for David Revis. But I don't love David Revis. I'm just sacrificing for him. It's worthless. I gain nothing for it. Jesus gave his life because he loved us when we were still sinners. John gives us several things in this first John four, seven through 12 that are helpful for us to know. First, if I love God, I will love others. So this chapter 13 is asking us to work with one another as a body in love. If I love God, I will love others. Another phrase that John gives us in regards to love If I love others, that shows I know God and he abides in me. This is not circular reasoning. If 
I love God, I will love others. Okay, Paul tells me to love the church and to serve and using my gifts in the church. So I need to pursue love. I need to pursue the gospel. When I love God, I will love others. It's not a um, shortcut to some sort of a secret. Okay, I just need to pursue this lovey-dovey feeling with God. Good luck. What I need to do is fall on my face because he is king of kings, lord of lords, and has given his life for me. So out of gratitude for that, I give him my life, my devotion, and I love him. I pursue him. And if I love others, that then shows that I know God and he abides in me. There is some sort of a reassurance for us as believers. You are a believer because you're loving people. And that's not normal. Thirdly, if I do not love others, this is the converse of what we just said. John says, if I do not love others, I do not know God. That's a strong warning for us as believers who claim to be believers. That's a strong warning because even Jesus says in the Gospels in Matthew 7, that people will come to him in the, in the last days and they will say, did we not prophesy in your name? Did we not cast out demons and do these miraculous works? And what does he say to them? Depart from me. I never knew you. I never knew you. Not I used to know you until you strayed. I never knew you. Depart from me. So people are doing spiritual gifts. And Jesus says, depart from me. Pursue love and earnestly desire spiritual gifts. Lastly, let's look at the end of the chapter in 1 Corinthians 13. We have seen that these gifts are helpful for the body. The Spirit has given us gifts that help the body, and we are to pursue love. Love is to be our lifeblood. It's the battery that runs our car. But lastly, one of the reasons that we pursue love is because love is the only thing that lasts. It has eternal value. Paul writes in verse 8, love never ends. As for prophecies, they're going to pass away and tongues will cease and knowledge will pass away. I'm just going to pick the three that you guys want the most. And I'm going to tell you those three, they're passing away. There's going to come a time when they're going to pass away. Because we know in part and we prophesy in part. We don't fully know everything. We have this gift that's keep it keeps making us long for what's to come because we only know in part. I've given a, I've been given a special gift of knowledge, but even that gift of knowledge falls short because I'm not yet, as he says, seeing face to face. So when the perfect comes, this is the debate. What's the perfect? Because Paul is somewhat um, vague. What's the perfect? Well, in light of what we're talking about, the perfect has to be something that comes at the end of the age when we see face to face and when we are when we know fully as we've been fully known. So it has to be something that happens when Jesus comes back. So I'm going to say what my interpretation is, it's the second coming of Christ is the perfect. When the perfect comes, when Christ comes back, the partial will pass away. These gifts of the spirit, they're going to pass away. So don't pursue them more than you pursue love because they're passing away. When I was a child, I spoke like a child. I thought like a child. I reasoned like a child. When I became a man, I gave up childish ways. 
when we see face to face, when we come before Christ and these gifts pass away, our changing now stops from a child who doesn't know why mommy and daddy are having me do certain things, who only knows partial information because that's what we tell them. My kids only know it's Christmas if I tell them. My kids only know, you know, about anything if I tell them right now. That's a great place to be in. It's also a scary place to be in. But when we're a child, we, we think like a child, we reason like a child. But when Christ comes, we're, we know fully as we are fully known. We see face to face because now we've only been seeing in a mirror dimly and then face to face. What joy. When our gifts pass away, there's no longer need for gifts because we have Christ. We are seeing face to face for the first time the one who is every gift in one person. He is wisdom. He is wisdom personified. He is complete knowledge. He is fully God. And we see him face to face. And so then verse 13 adds two new topics. You don't add, Paul doesn't know, you don't add topics at the end of a chapter. Because you haven't been talking about it yet. In your conclusion, this is the first thing you learn in speech. Don't add new topics into the conclusion. Paul does. This is some sort of a hymn. These topics are very readily known to the people then. So now faith, hope, and love abide. These three. But the greatest is love. Greater than faith? The greatest of these is love. Verse chapter 14, pursue love, earnestly desire spiritual gifts. So we have a couple applications before we go. We want to be praying for spiritual gifts. Not because we have a desire to be made known in the church, but because we see that this whole system right here is much bigger than Stephen Brainine. If God was making it clear to the body and to myself, I should never ever again open the scriptures and teach in, in, in front of people, then the church is bigger than me and any kind of a gift that people might want to have. And if God makes it clear you should never ever again bake a rhubarb pie to take to someone, it's a lie of the devil. I'm just kidding. The church is bigger than your rhubarb pie. We do these things, we pray for gifts, we pursue love, because it's all in the end about Christ and God's glory. The church being built up so that God is made much of, and not us. The gifts are not for us. So the first application is, when, when we are praying for spiritual gifts, and I hope this just begins the conversation of, am I praying for gifting? Do I care about the body? Am I just a consumer? That happens. People come and they, they just consume and then, then they can criticize and say, well, you don't do this right. But if we're praying for gifts, are you praying for gifts? The main question is discern your motives, though. When we're praying for gifts, are we praying for specific gifts or are we praying for the building up and encouraging of the body? And then God uses that pray, praying for the body to impress on us gifts hey you've got a, this brother comes up to you and says i've noticed you're really good at this i haven't even been praying for that i've just been praying for the church and god can work in small ways like that so are you praying for specific gifts because you think i've got that ability i should be doing that or are you praying for the church number two 
Remember the warning of 1 John 4. It was just a verse that we read, not even in passing. It was picked uh, specifically here in this is love. But remember the warning that was given in uh, the verse there of not know, not loving others means not knowing God. That's serious. That's serious. You don't fix that by just trying to love people more. Lastly, use your gifts. Use your gifts in love for the church and pray for gifts. Use your gifts. We need you to use your gifts. I need your encouragement. I need your mercy. I need your hospitality. The church needs your gifts. You have been intimately crafted into this body by God through the work of Christ on the cross and gifted by the Spirit for this body, for us to grow. So we all need your gifts. Use them. Pray for gifts. And let's encourage one another as we do use our gifts that God is in this and this is the work of the Spirit that cannot be torn down or taken apart. This is God's doing. Let's pray. God, we we thank you for your scripture. We thank you that this is love. We don't have to wonder what love is and do we have it? Do we know it? How can we search for the meaning of life? God, we're not left with these questions because you have encouraged us greatly. This is love. Gave your only son to die for us. When we were in the darkest of sins, when we were spitting anger and wrath towards you, we hated you and you died for us. You have come into our hearts, you have raptured us and you have given us new life. And so, God, I pray by your spirit that you would encourage us with this message from 1 Corinthians 13 of being able to help and encourage and strengthen the body using our gifts doing so out of love for Christ and the gospel and for the glory of God and the building up of his church. Because in the end, it's love that will last. In the end, for all of eternity, we will be bowing before your throne, praising you, the lamb that was slain, for your love, your sacrifice out of a heart of love for us from the foundations of the world. God, we praise you. We look forward to that day when we see you face to face. What joy it will be when these things that are partial will pass away and we will be in your presence for all of eternity. God, I pray there might be someone here who that is not the case. They don't long for that. They don't look forward to that. They don't love other people. They don't love themselves. They don't know what love is. This is the first time they've heard of the gospel or Jesus or some of these verses and and so we pray that if, if they have any questions, if the Spirit is, you now are working in their life, that they would, they would come and they would find the person they came with or someone sitting next to them or myself or one of the elders or somebody else and they would get that right, that God, you would be continuing to impress on their heart their need for Christ and you would be opening their eyes to the beauty of the gospel. So God, I pray that in this coming week, you would impress this text on our hearts and you would draw us closer to yourself intimately in love and that for the benefit of your church. We pray these things as you continue to meet with us through our musical worship. In Christ's name, amen.